0: Thank you, worship team. Five things I wish I had known as a new Christian. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about those things here in just a minute, uh, but I'm sure you're all aware that in two days and let's see, it's eleven. So two days and thirteen hours, this 2013 is gonna be gone. Didn't it go by quickly? Uh, one of the things while I was doing my research and doing some studying, uh, bouncing on and off the internet, I noticed that the big topic on the internet right now is New Year's resolutions. Uh, And of course, uh, you can all guess what the first and the most important of the New Year's resolutions is. Uh, What would you think that might be? Ah, what a group. <laughs> Let's see. New Year's resolution. Mo- the 10 most popular lose weight. <laughs> Historically, that's true. Uh, how about number two? What do you think that might be? Exercise. Yeah, some of those are pretty good. Uh, kind of a worldly thing. Stop smoking. Um, and. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons for those two being first. They're, they're usually the first on the list every year. Um, but let's, let's just kind of take a look at, and see if you can guess what number three might be. Read more. See, I think now we're starting to get a little more um, mature, a little more understanding here. Save money, use it more wisely. Uh, Those are actually two things, four and five, and I've combined them. Uh, Number six, spend time with family, spend time with friends, another two on that list of 10. Help others. And then in the end, uh, and this was kind of interesting. I should have got a slide about this. It said, clean and organize. And I know you've all seen the, the movie or the pictures of the hoarders and these reality shows that they put on television now. Uh, and that's what it showed—a picture of. You know, it's time to clean up. It's time to organize things. Uh, what I would like to do, uh, because I think this list is right on, if we just cut out one and two, because I, I think we're, we got that pretty much under control here as a group. Uh, losing weight and stop smoking. You know, good Baptists. So, uh, <laughs> let's let's start at number three there. And um, I'd like to kind of relate these to uh, the things that I wished I had known as a new Christian. Um, so see if we can get our resolution for this year um, or the, the way that the world speaks of rev- resolutions uh, and apply it to our, our Christian life. Um, Oh, let 's see here things I wished I knew <clears throat> what i 'd like to do um, i 'm going to kind of juggle the resolution that the world came up with, and number one was read more and i what I have done is uh this is this is really one of the most important things I think our young people uh need to understand it 's something I needed to understand as a new believer. I need to read more of God's Word. Um, that list that we had up here, if it had a godly perspective, it would be right on. And I think at the, I hope at the end of our, our little talk here that uh, you'll see that and it'll be pretty evident to you. Um, first, before we get into these uh, five points, I want to set a foundational principle and this is especially important for our young people and equally important for um the rest of us how's <laughs> that, that kind way to say older guys uh, so the word of god the bible um what do we actually get out of god's word and we're going to we're going to look at a number of things here um Second Peter one, two and three says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord, our Jesus, of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue." You know, the Word of God is the most published book of all times. Um, I think if you went home and looked at your bookshelf, everybody has one, many have two, most have three, and I didn't count ours, but I'll I'll bet we have well over five Bibles in our home, Um, though many people believe that the Bible just being by its presence is uh, making them a better person and I've heard so many people tell me that the way to heaven is to be a good person. And uh, I think we're going to see today, and, and you, many of you know that that is not the, the case. Um, the verse up there that says grace, uh, you know, it, it's really important. The Bible was first written in the Hebrew language, and then it was translated into Greek. And Greek is... And I don't know any Greek, believe me, other than the, the words that I've written in my Bible to highlight areas. But Greek, the Greek language, one word expresses a thought or a picture of what the writer or the speaker was trying to get across. So just one word can a multi a multitude of things, and it expresses... Uh, it, it expresses emotion and feeling, not just a word. So we see the word grace up there. Um, and grace, in that context, means God's favor or God's blessing. And the peace that follows that is the effects of that favor that we receive from God. Um, and here, the author is telling us that the blessings and favor from God, they're multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Um, So when we read his word, these blessings that God has for us um, come to us and then bring peace and joy as a result of that. In Timothy, we read that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we see words like... um, In the inspiration of God, uh, I I believe Pastor has given us that Greek word, and I I know I've got it written in my Bible, but it means God breathed. God put the life in the scripture. Um, When it says doctrine up there, doctrine teaches the will of God, exactly how we are to, uh, to behave. And reproof? Uh, that's kind of a strange word, but um, it's telling us that Scripture can be used to convince men of the truth. That's what reproof is. Uh, correction, of course, is to change behavior uh, and to make make us righteous. And, of course, instruction is to teach us what God's, God's Word is. So why, why do we have that? Um, In the summer of 1959 And to many of you that won't sound like ancient history But to many of the younger people that is 1959, that's 54 years ago Uh, That's when I became a believer or a Christian um, And the Holy Spirit planted in my heart A seed uh, to get to know God And that's what he does When we accept Christ as our savior, the Holy Spirit enters our life and uh, through his urging uh, gives us that desire to know more about God. Uh, I memorized a number of verses uh, and I believe that they were probably picked at random. I don't know, there there must've been somebody in my Sunday school that that had a curriculum or had a, a goal for my learning uh, and it was a good foundation to build on. You know, I attended uh, a conservative Baptist church, Sunday school, on a regular basis. Um, they didn't have an AWANA program. That AWANA wasn't, uh, wasn't even started back in 1959. Uh, but we did have home Bible studies as youth, uh, which are so important. But one of the things that I look back on and see now, um, Though I had a desire to know God, um, it was a weekly desire. And I speak in in terms of um, a period of time, not in strength. Um, Sunday was a day we spent at Sunday school, in church, getting together with family, um, going back to church in the evening for a Bible study, but then the busy week of Monday started, and it was off to school, and uh, I, I don't recall a lot of Bible reading. I don't recall a lot of time set aside for God. Um, so that, that's one of the things that I, that I have learned. And one of the, I want to stress this, um, Chet shared this with me just before we, we started this morning, um, though I was aware of the five points that I am going to say, I wished I had known these, um, it wasn't until I've gone through this journey of life, this, this 54 years that I've experienced, that I realized that I knew these things. I just didn't really know them. I didn't really experience them. Um, and that, that's what's so important. How do, how do we tell our young people it's important to read the Word of God. And though they hear it over and over and read the Word of God Sunday um, and then on Wednesday at Iwana to prove that they've done their verses and their memory work, um, are they truly studying every day? Are they looking into God's Word on a daily basis? Uh, As I look back now over those 54 years, I see... Uh, i didn 't do it as diligently as I should have, or I wished I had uh, well, here we are in psalm one nineteen and, and this is uh, this is this is just a great psalm uh, it was It was written probably by Ezra and about four hundred and fifty years before the birth of christ and just as a little trivia, I think Wayne shared this week or two ago, that it's the longest chapter in the Bible, Um, and I found that it's called one of the alphabetical Psalms, Uh, and the reason that is, is there's, if you looked at uh, Psalm 119, you'll see that it has 22 verses, not, or not verses, 22 sections of verses, and each one of those 22 parts correspond to one of the 22 Um, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the writer not only wrote inspired by God um, to express the wonder of God, but it's it's broken down into A, B, C, D, E through their entire Hebrew alphabet, uh, though those aren't the letters. Um, But it's an elegant and important composition. And of course, the main topics are the excellence of God's word, and the resulting happiness for those who know and follow it. We read here, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, that word hidden uh, speaks of a treasure. Uh, when, the, when it was translated into Greek, when, they, when it says hidden, hidden, it's it's the concept or idea of something of value that's to be treasured. Um, it's not the idea of hiding it, but yet in a in a roundabout way, it is. It's a treasure that we want to save, um, and that's why hidden was chosen for that word. Um, and of course, we've hidden it in our heart um, that we might not sin against him. We not when, we not only read but we hear and it should be readily available as a guide and as counsel and obviously to keep us from sin. Um, One of the authors that I was reading when I was preparing this uh, came up with a statement, and I I forget. I'm sorry I don't have his name, who it was, but he said, from this verse, what we hide in our heart is the best thing kept in the best place for the best purpose." Pretty wise words. Uh, the psalmist and the wisdom of Proverbs gives us two beautiful word pictures. And I want to put those up here right now. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, if, if that was broken down in Greek, it would, it would give us the picture. Um, And we can only compare it to what we have today. Uh, We go out at night and we walk down the street here on Vista and city lights light up our path and uh, we have a sidewalk made of cement that's smooth and we don't have to worry about stumbling in the dark. But yet the writer here is telling us that God's word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path because if we think of this in the biblical context... Um, try and picture in the ancient world walking on the uneven ground of the desert in the dark of night with only the stars to give you guidance. Uh, If they did have a lamp, it would be, and I I couldn't find something to bring in as a a show, but it would be a box with a candle in it. So it would be a flashlight with one candle power. (laughs) And by today's standards, that's not, uh, not much light. But that's what the psalmist is trying to portray for us. It's, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And here in Proverbs, every word of God is pure. You know, when we read that, just a a brief statement, um, every word of God is pure. Uh, we think of what 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 is pure? Pure is clean. It's um, it's not. Defiled, It's not corrupted. But what the writer was trying to portray, when, it, when they say pure in Greek, it's, it's the picture of a man sitting at a smelter, um, refining silver or gold. And it's, it's heated to um, hundreds of degrees in temperature until the solid becomes liquid, and the impurities float to the surface and then they're wiped off and what is left is pure silver and or gold and that's exactly what the writer is trying to portray here when he says that the word is pure every word of God is pure so when when these things are written and we just gloss over them as God's word is pure well that's that's true you know I don't have any problem with that but yet the picture that the writer is trying to establish for us is this work that's gone into purifying and making it that. Uh, Another verse found in Isaiah, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Um, What a graphic picture of life that is. actually portrays the frailty of man Uh, I experienced that this year uh, when my father went to be with the Lord Uh, I watched his strength and the character and the virtue that was uh, so apparent as a young man um, his strength begin to fail and much like Isaiah writes here, the grass withered and the flowers faded. Uh, and that's what happens to each one of us. So this is a picture um, of the frailty of man. You know, one of the things that's difficult about being up here is trying to keep track of where you are and <laughs> where your slides are. So if, if there's a, a five-minute pause, don't... Uh, <laughs> Don't get up and leave, okay? (laughs) Let me see, here we are. Um, Isaiah is really an interesting book because Isaiah spends the first 39 chapters of his book uh, talking about judgments on immoral and idolatrous people. And then, starting in chapter 40, he presents the message of hope and uh, the coming of the Messiah. And we can see here that the things of the world wither and fade away, but the word of God stands forever. In John 17, we read, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Um, In in this case, Jesus was praying for his disciples um, on the night just before he was betrayed. And I, I should turn over to that. Um, here Jesus is praying for his disciples, and then as we go on in uh, seventeen twenty, which I have up there, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Um, what a wonderful promise that is! You know, Jesus at the the night he was betrayed, he was praying for his disciples. And then he went on in the next sentence to say that he would pray for those who would believe in him through his disciples. That's you and me. So Jesus on that night was praying in advance for us. Uh, What a a marvelous thing. And then he goes on to explain in verse 21 um, that they all may be one as you Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be the one, be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Um, just a marvelous, marvelous set of verses here in John chapter 17, um, when Jesus talks about praying for us and praying for unity so that we would be like him we would, and he's like the Father, that we would be truly like the Father also. In Colossians we read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I I so love this verse. Um, You know, when we see someone that is um, involved in sin or maybe behaving in an ungodly way, this verse helps us to mellow our hearts in the way we approach those individuals. It's important that we don't approach people, brothers in Christ, um, as superior or as um, having authority over them. Um, You know, I, I counted a... Privilege and a blessing uh, to be selected as an elder, someone who's responsible for leading this church. But yet, I'm I'm no different than any one of you. Um, I can remember what my dad always told me, that, and it had it related to the business world. But it, it said that he said, um, "Your boss puts his pants on in the morning the same way you do." You know, so it was kind of an indication that though someone is the boss, they're not any different than all of the workers. And in this context, in our church family, um, our pastor, other than having the responsibility that he does to lead uh, and the responsibility that the elders do to lead, we, uh, we are members of this body and can't function without uh, the work and the care and the love of every other part of the body. I think this next verse in Hebrews, the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Uh, you know, we see that the word of God is, is powerful. Um, it's interesting that the writer chose the sword uh, to use it as the analogy. Um, a sword brings either life or death. Um, it doesn't bring happiness or joy. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't bring care or safety. Well, I guess it does in, in some ways. But fundamentally, the sword brings or carries with it the power of either life or death. And that's what God's word carries with it. Uh, it carries either life or death. To, to read it and believe it is life, to, uh, to read it and set it aside, we know is death. Um, throughout the Bible, and especially in Ephesians, it's referred to, the Bible's referred to as the sword of the spirit, uh, Producing the same results as a double-edged sword, uh, kind of an interesting article of war, um, and it carries the thought of cutting through outer appearance, laying bare the innermost motives and intentions and feelings of man you know when i was a when I was a young Christian, rather than memorizing verses at random, I wished that I had read all of god's word from cover to cover, and I wished I had read it daily instead of focusing on God's Word on Sunday and then trying to live out what I had read the other six days of the week. Uh, So I'd ask you, what is your plan for this new year? Do you have time to read God's Word on a daily basis? Um, There's also a multitude of books available to read, not only God's word, uh, even though that's that's my main point. Um, Ann Hubbard is our church librarian and she keeps a wonderful selection of uh, books and articles to read. Um, I was walking through the Christian bookstore and uh, I saw a paperback on the shelf it was one of the last things that I read, and it said, or the title of the book was, The Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, and that caught my eye. You know, <laughs> heaven is supposed to be the greatest place in the world, or I mean, the greatest place in eternity, and it is. So, what is there in heaven that you can't do? You know, it, it took two chapters for me to discover what this person was saying, um, But his thesis was, you will not be witnessing in heaven because heaven's gonna be full of believers. So the only opportunity we have to witness is right here on earth. Uh, And in this this particular book that I read, uh, and that's the reason it's so important that we read godly publications, he set out to show um, how you would witness in different, um, different environments. And his favorite was the mall, walking through the mall and talking to people. Uh, He also mentioned uh, riding on a bus. And that became my goal Uh, at that particular time in life. I was riding the bus from Linden to Bellingham, not every day, but pretty regularly. And so what I would do is I would, when I got on the bus, I would just as quickly as I could find... Somebody that was sitting by themselves, even though the bus was empty and i 'd go sit down beside him and believe me that uh, I got a lot of a lot of different kinds of remarks. I had people get up and leave you know and go get another seat, <laughs> but I did have people sit there and talk to me too and uh, but that 's what I learned from that book and it, it just just a thought, and I, I wanted to share that with you because it 's so important. Uh, what we do with God's word once we have it. Well, let's, let's move along here. Uh, number two, it said save money or use it more wisely. And you can see I've lined out save. Uh, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says that where our treasure is, uh, there our heart will be. Um, so what I would like to, uh, to look at today is money, and let's use it more wisely. You know, the uh, the resolution that the world came up with is a, is a good thought, um, but it's missing God's perspective. And one of the things that I have learned is putting God in charge of um, our family finances. And I hope that you'll see as we go through this, the blessings that come from that, um, just a few minutes ago, we took the offering, and I can remember back as a young man, they took our tithes and our offerings. Um, kind of a, an interesting thought. So I, in our Sunday school class, we talked a little about tithes, and I just want to share that with you here quickly. Um, and I'm sure you're all familiar with that term, a tithe, uh, and we probably all agree that it has something to do with ten. You know, isn't a tithe 10%? If you ask, ask anybody walking down the street, they'll probably agree with you. And they're, they're partly correct because the word tithe comes from the Hebrew word for 10. Um, but it's important to know, and by reading God's word, we understand that um, the tithe had a historical application As far back as Genesis, in fact, I I believe it was Genesis chapter 14, um, where Abraham, it says, Abraham paid a tithe um, of the spoils when he was returning from war with the kings. Uh, So he gave, and it says he even gave a tenth of the spoils to, um, and it, it lists Melchizedek as the priest of the most high God, Uh, in Jerusalem. Um, So, since we're dealing with historic times, historic data here, um, let's let's take a look at the Israel nation um, and how their government functioned. You know, Israel was what was called a theocracy. Um, That means it was ruled by God through a series of priestly orders. And the Hebrews were required each year to pay what they called a Levite priestly tax. And that tax was 10%. It was 10% of all of their crops, 10% of their herds, 10% of any gain that they might have had. Um, So the Hebrews, the Jews, were required to pay 10%. Now, in addition to that, there was a yearly Hebrew festival and convocation. And I'm sure you've read all about the convocations where the Israelites came together. And in Jerusalem, they had a... I'd I'd call it a party, but they had these convocations where they got together for a week and celebrated. And this... They gave another 10%. And this 10% was to fund all of these festivals. Now, beyond that... um, Every third year, they were required to give another ten percent for the poor and the widows. And I'm not sure if I can have another slide. Yeah, there we go. Um, so if if we divide that every third year into a yearly divisions, we're looking at three and a third percent. So basically, the Israelites were required to give twenty three and a third percent a year of everything they had. That's that's pretty healthy giving, isn't it? I think you probably agree with me there. Um, But this, of course, ran the government, um, took care of the temple and the religious activities, and it also was a welfare system. So that's what the the Hebrew or the Israelites did. Might be interesting for you to know, and if, if you're unaware, that nowhere in the New Testament does it teach tithing. Um, and it does not mention giving 10%. Uh, it is There are a couple of places in the New Testament where it's referred to as a historical um, event. Um, as a young Christian, a young boy, I, I had a paper route, and uh, I rode my bike around the city of Englewood throwing papers up on people's porch, and I made $35 a month. And back in the 50s, that was a lot of money, uh, And under my parents' guidance, they suggested that I give 10% to church. So I did. I I gave my $3.50 as a good, young, new Christian. um, And I felt I was tithing, even though that isn't a biblical principle. Um, So I gave my $3.50 to church, a good place to start. Um, And then I was also allowed or encouraged to give, when I, I sat out in church and I heard missionaries come and talk about their work in Africa, and my parents would ask me, do you think that's a worthy cause? Do you think that's somewhere that you might want to share some of your, uh, your earnings? And, and I agreed. So I was now giving in a biblical sense. Um, Little did I know that I was offering back to God the things that He had blessed me with um, and and that's kind of the concept that i want I want us all to understand. Um, but it wasn't until I read uh, second Corinthians chapter eight and nine that I began to understand what Paul was saying to the Corinthians about the churches in Macedonia. And their giving, and I think I've got that up here. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty aband, abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability... Yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely giving. Um, You know, the the church in Macedonia knew that there was a need. And um, it says here that they gave abundantly out of deep poverty. Um, it, It tells us in here that the churches in Macedonia were very poor, but they gave generously, and they gave... Uh, they gave out of their hearts, and that's, that's a real key here. And In fact, it says in verse 3, they gave beyond their ability. They gave more. Uh, one of the commentaries I read said they gave more than they should have given. Uh, that's, that's hard to believe. I, I think that may have been the wrong choice of words, but um, they gave out of the abundance that they had, which was poverty in this case. Um, Verse 5 tells us, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You know, it tells us that they they gave themselves to the Lord first. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, if you want a lesson in giving, look at these people. They gave out of poverty, they gave beyond their means and their ability because they'd already given themselves to God. So what is the right motive for giving? I came up with just three things that I took from this. Giving is expecting nothing in return and giving must come from the heart and giving is the idea of abandoning something that didn't belong to me in the beginning. Uh, The gifts that I have from God are His, really. You know, once we realize that the God of creation who created the heavens and the earth, He owns everything. Everything I have, everything I own, everything I gain, everything that is under my control belongs to God. You know, when, when we realize that and understand that principle, it's a lot easier to give back to God because it was His to begin with. Uh, he's just entrusted us with it for a period of time. Um, when I was thinking of that, it I remembered a, a discourse that took place between Jesus and... Jesus in the, uh, uh, it tells us a rich young man, and I, I think I've got that up here, uh, says, "Now behold, one came and he said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life?" So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. But if you want to know, or if, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments." So he said to him, which one? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, Give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. That's a lot to to dissect here. Um, and when we read through this, Jesus was not setting up um, terms of salvation when he said, um, "Go and sell everything and follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven." But Rather, what he was doing was he was exposing this young man's heart. And we see in verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Um, You know, he claimed earlier to be blameless under the law. He said, I've done all these things. Uh, That's found in verse 20, where it says, all these things I have kept. But he was guilty of loving himself and his possessions more than his neighbor, and he lacked true faith in following Christ. Um, and we see that um, when Christ says, well, in Matthew sixteen twenty four 24 uh, is where I... 1624 said Jesus told his disciples if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me and that's what Jesus told this young rich man um, sell your possessions take up your cross and follow me so he was really getting at the heart of this young man Um, he said come and follow me and of course we see here in verse 24 that or excuse me 22 that Um, he had great possessions, and he was unwilling to give those up to follow Christ. Well, the Jewish people set up um, two chests in the temple for collecting the offerings and the tithes that the people gave. Um, One chest was for what was required under the law, and the second was a free will offering. So the idea here was a good idea but there was a flaw or there was a problem uh, because as the people came into the temple and they dropped their tithe, what they owed according to the law, and stepped to the second chest, they, they felt the pressure of um, other people watching and rather than giving out of their heart and just presenting their offerings to God, There was a desire to maintain the position that they held in that temple society, so they grudgingly had to put money into that second box. Uh, So they really weren't following the concept that we have in the New Testament in their giving. Uh, They gave out of a requirement rather than out of a love or out of their heart. Uh, Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, if I was a televangelist and the cameras were running up here, um, I would quote this verse and I would tell you that if you only want a little blessing from God, give a little. If you want a big blessing, and I can guarantee you're going to have that blessing, then you give a lot. And that is obviously um, inaccurate and incorrect. Um, The verse is accurate. The blessings from God are great, um, but not dependent upon the gifts. Let each one give as as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, And this is where Paul is expressing when we give, it needs to come from our heart. It needs to be something that God has laid on our heart to do. And it's kind of interesting that he uses heart. Um, When we make choices or decisions about giving or about sharing, don't they come from our heart? They come from the feeling that we have for whatever the situation may be. If we sit down and say, okay, I'm going to think this through. Now, I don't really have enough money to buy a new truck if I give the church money uh, to pay for the elevator. If, if I share with my neighbor, uh, that means I can't take that trip to... Palm Springs, you know, as we think things through, we, we lose the the prodding, the urging of the Holy Spirit that our heart feels. And I believe that's the reason Paul mentioned um, as he purposes in his heart, he, he could have said as he purposes in his reasoning or his, uh, his choosing. But there's a reason that that heart is, is used there. Uh, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Uh, notice the alls in that sentence. God is able to make all grace, always having all sufficiency in all things. Uh, what a promise verse 8 has for us. Um, that, that verse actually goes on and when he talks about all sufficiency and all things may have all abundance for every good work, um, what he's alluding to there is as you, as you give to this church in, Cor, or in, in Corinth, um, the giving that you're giving, God will supply and he will add to that so that you can continue in that giving. That's that's the idea of that verse there. Oops, I guess I wasn't supposed to go on yet, but. (laughs) Um, Philippians 4.19 says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You know, it's pretty amazing. Um, And Cindy and I could share um, numerous accounts of God's grace and favor throughout our married life. Uh, One thing that I do want to declare is that you cannot outgive God. Um, I wished I had known that as a young Christian um, because though my my giving, my $3.50 and then maybe my next dollar was from my heart. It was the right giving. Um, Maybe I could have shared more with those missionaries. Um, I, think, I think I was able to give um, from my heart, it was the right, uh, the right way to give. But I wished I had known as a young Christian and uh, possibly missed out on some of the blessings that God had for me. Um, well, let's move on here. Um, spend more time with family, spend more time with friends, that's what the world says. Um, this, too, is another good thought, uh, but I, of course, I've changed it up here to spend more time with my Heavenly Father. Uh, you know, throughout the Bible, the picture of family is, is present. Um, in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6 says, uh, and it's, it's one of those Christmas verses that we've just been reading about, "'For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given.'" And the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, This is an analogy of children and parents. And we're God's children. He's our father, our father in heaven. Uh, And it's a blood relationship. You know, it's not the kind of earthly blood relationship that the Jews um, treasure. And it, the Jewish bloodline is their lineage and their heritage, but it's it's the blood relationship um, that we have with Jesus Christ. You know, he he shed his blood on the cross for us, so that we might be heirs in his family. Um, I think I've got Romans five. 8 and 9, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through him. For as many as are called or as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. I have quite a number of slides up here. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Father. And this, this again, is that relationship of child and parent. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, verses that that draw the picture of this analogy of child and parent uh, so so how do we spend time spend time with our heavenly Father? Um, I was trying to come up with a an analogy of that. Um, hmm. the, the picture that I want to paint or what I want if, if someone new walked in our doors today um, how do we get to know that person so let's compare that with how we would get to know God um, the psalmist tells us um, <clears throat> and I think I have that coming up here next evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he will hear my voice. So obviously we can, we can pray to God. That's how we get to know him. How do we get to know that fellow or woman that comes in the back door? Well, we have to introduce ourselves. We have to talk to them. And that's, that's exactly what prayer is. Um, don't get the, the idea that praying to God has to be formal, that it has to be structured, it has to be all those these and thou's, those pretty words. God is just like a father and he wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to talk to him. It's something that here we see and the psalmist is telling us in evening and in morning and at noon. Does that give you the picture of any time during the day? Um, When you're walking down the street, any time is a time to be communing with God. Uh, In Thessalonians, it tells us pray without ceasing in everything give thanks. We're told to pray for our brethren, pray for others, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Um, I noticed today in the bulletin, we have our prayer and praise sheet. This is something that we place in the bulletin um, quite often, and it's specifically aimed at things that are um, germane or important to our church body. Um, many people like a prayer list. That's a good, good way of recording and seeing God working. If, if you're recording, I'm praying for this person, and that person then tells of a blessing, or we learn that the prayers are being answered, you can see God at work, um, a great way to do it. Um, we also know... I didn't want you to see that yet? But <clears throat> in Matthew, Matthew six six, uh, and I'll just turn to that quickly. Uh, it talks about an intimate time with God. Um, you know, he's talk he's talking about the the Pharisees and how they they want to pray in public and be recognized for their great oration. Uh, in Matthew six six, Jesus said, "But you, when you pray, go into your room." And when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there is a time for intimate prayer and communion with God. Um, Another another way to get to know this new person that just walked in the back door, the way to get to know God, um, is to spend time with them with common interests. You know, when we talk to somebody and we find out they enjoy, um, they enjoy building, and we bring them into our group of men that tear things apart and try to fix them. Uh, <laughs> but how does God, or what? where are God's interests? You know, God's interests are in soul, winning souls to Him, feeding the poor, helping others, and just struck me as so important when Jesus said, I'm busy about my father's work. That's what we need to do to, be, to become closer, to be spending more time with God. We need to be busy about his work. You know, as I, I look back over this past year, you know, I see all of the outreach and the ministries uh, that this body participating. Um, and I'm just amazed at the diversity of things that are being accomplished for God. Um, and I know that if I tried to list them all, I, I would certainly leave somebody out. But um, you know, I, just in thinking back, the, the women that, that make baby blankets for the Whatcom County Pregnancy Center, uh, the men working on the building, um, the meal train, helping families with food, uh, we our family participated in that this year, or we were recipient recipient of it um, cleaning the church, preparing for special events um, the the technology people that keep everything running uh, women here that volunteer at the hospital down in Bellingham at extended care facilities uh, just the countless hours that this body spends busy about God's work. Uh, that's how you get to know God. You experience, uh, you experience the, the righteousness and the joy that people exude as they do things for God. Uh, that's what I want to be doing. I want to be busy about his work. And then number four um, is help others. You know, one of the character faults I think of youth uh, is belief that the world revolves around self. Uh, And I pretty much fit right into that description as a young person. Um, When I was a, a new Christian, when I asked Jesus to forgive my sins, the word tells me that he washed me whiter than snow and that the blood of Jesus covered my sin, and God then was able to look on me as a new creation. Um, But I was still the same young teenager. Uh, I know I'd been sanctified, I'd been set apart for God's work, but what I needed was guidance and direction. That guidance and direction is found, I think we've established in God's word, Um, I needed to be taught and instructed by mature Christians, um, and that's the participation that each one of you can have. Um, I I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home, and I was part of a wonderful youth group. Um, It was a fairly large church. Our high school and college age acted as Mentors for the younger junior hires, a a great model uh, to have experienced. And as I said earlier, we didn't have an AWANA program. Uh, I can't really remember any particular program other than getting together as a a youth group um, to study God's Word. But I do remember um, a program that our church had, and it was called Youth Sunday. Uh, a great, great experience. Um, the youth that, on that particular Sunday, would act in place of their male counter or adult counterparts um, and as luck would have it, I was chosen to be the associate pastor, <laughs> which is a safe I figured it was a safe place to be. Um, and an associate pastor is much like a youth pastor or a pastor of music, but it's somebody that, that assists uh, your senior pastor or main, main pastor. And at that time, when I was a junior higher, our church um, had a membership of about 500 people. And as I looked out over that group, I, it looked like a much larger group than 500. Um, <clears throat> and if you can picture back into 19... Uh, the late 1950s. uh, It was very formal. All you men out there would be wearing suits and ties today. Um, All the ladies were in dresses, and many had hats on. Uh, So everything was very formal. And on that particular Sunday, the choir in, in their flowing robes all came in and stepped up onto the choir loft, and then the a pastor and associate pastor would come in and they would kneel at their chairs and pray silently. And then when they were finished, they'd turn around and the associate pastor, which I had not keyed on, <laughs> would then step up and start the service. So do you think I was nervous? I was pretty nervous or anxious today. Imagine um, a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old how they felt, um, and it, I look back over that that period, and I remember the older boy uh, that was the pastor, and I, I just I remember his calm and gentle spirit. And before before we stepped in, he said, "Let's pray." You know, that that's what we need to have. We need to have uh, that spirit of gentleness, um, and we need to be mentoring our young people. Uh, I want to say God bless each and every one of you uh, that take the time to prepare for your Sunday lessons that you... Um, the hours spent being ready uh, for a wana, the time you come in and spend listening to verses, encouraging these young people um, involved in youth groups, whether directly, uh, whether you're the sponsor of the youth group or whether you open your home to the youth to come in, being indirectly involved. Uh, all of you older people um, they are godly role models, just in the way you conduct your lives and uh, and how you interact with one another. Uh, you know, I have the blessing of standing up here and saying, greet someone, and then I watch uh, as people shake hands and, and greet each other. And it's not two old people in the back and two young people up here in the front, but it's people moving within the body and interacting and loving one another. And uh, I just say, God bless each one of you for, for helping in that. Um, you know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of an imperishable crown. Um, and he's writing to the Corinthians about their conduct in general and the way they treat people uh, and especially non-believers. Um, Paul speaks of a crown of righteousness. Peter, in his book, speaks of a crown of glory. And John, near the end of God's word, speaks of the crown of life. Oh, this has to do with conduct. Here we are in James. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, I look forward to that day when, when we will receive the crown. Uh, and I, I know that each and every one of you will be surprised at the crowns and the rewards uh, that you are laying up in heaven. And I know that by the actions and the behavior that I see from you. Um, the the last one on my list here is make a change. And, you know, I'm going to let you uh, decide what that change needs to be. I know um, through my 54 years looking back that there's a lot of changes. Um, I know I understood these principles. I know I probably did a mediocre job, mediocre affair at uh, following God's Word, Uh, but it's so important that we do read God's Word, that we do communicate with Him, that we pray without ceasing, uh, that we love one another. Uh, If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, will you read more this year? You know, a good way to begin um, is to read the Bible daily. Uh, and I, I brought my, the book that I'm going to use this year, uh, and you can see it's a paperback. Uh, it's well used. I think Cindy's read this two or three times. Uh, but it's, it's just a daily Bible. You know, it tells you um, an Old Testament, a Psalm, a Proverb, and New Testament, And believe me, it gets you through the whole Bible by December 31st. Here's the end of it. Uh, And it's available in every kind of um, translation. And I would recommend getting a translation that's different from your study Bible so that you just get a little different perspective on God's Word. Uh, You know, you can get it in... uh, the New King James, the Amplified, the, uh, the King James—even if you want to read it that way—it's uh, it, just available. The New American Standard in all different kinds. Uh, will you commit to a regular time of prayer? And a great way to start—it's a great way to start your day and to finish your day. Um, and like I said earlier, there's a—you might want to start with a prayer list so you can keep. Uh, track of what you're praying for and watch God's work, uh, but it's a good habit of talking to the Lord about daily life activities. Uh, you might see that you might see a change in the way you spend your time when you start doing that. Uh, how about your free time? Is there somewhere that you can help as part of this body of believers? Maybe mentoring a new believer. Uh, how about your gifts, the, the blessings that you have, the grace that God's given you? Uh, will you be able to stand confident in the way you use the blessings that God allowed you to have while you were here on earth? Uh, you know, I, I think one of my, my things up there is use, use your money more wisely. Uh, <clears throat> If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you know, it's one thing to know Jesus and another to ask him to be Lord of your life. And I would love to show you how you can do that. Uh, we have a number of men and women here, anyone on the worship team. Uh, we are blessed to have a wonderful staff at this church. Uh, and as Chet prayed earlier, our pastor's away this week. Uh, but he'll be in the office starting next week. Uh, What a blessing it is to have a pastor that teaches the Bible uh, with accuracy and with love. Uh, We truly are a blessed congregation. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that you give us. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you. Father, make us busy about your work in everything that we do, whether it be uh, in our daily tasks or whether it be uh, working here at church or working with youth, uh, ministering to others. Father, may we be glorifying you in everything you do, looking forward to that day when, when you will return and present us with crowns, crowns of life and crowns of righteousness because of what we did for you. And may we do it with the correct and proper heart, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen.